Good evening. Tonight, submitted for your approval, the story of a consummate Florida man, that being Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper. But is he an ordinary Florida man, or is he something else? The most terrifying serial killer you've never heard of. That story, or how a haunted grocery store has injured many members of my family for generations. Tonight on True Crime Tuesday. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, idiot. What's going on, Failure to Stop Wolfpack? This is Failure to Stop. This is the number one podcast platform where we entertain and inform first responders. Tonight, it's True Crime Tuesday. This is the show that's designed to keep you awake. We know you want to fall asleep at the wheel of your police car or laying on the gurney in the back of your ambulance or just at the fire station because that's what we pay you to do as a firefighter. But tonight, we're going to try to keep you awake. That's the purpose of True Crime Tuesday. I'm joined tonight by our host, Kendra Drama. She's got a wonderful story for us. Kendra, how are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> I'm recovering from our conversation. Yes, most, pe most people have a, a reaction of recovery after talking to me. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to just go ahead and do our ad reads so we can get into the story, Kendra. Uh, okay. I'm just going to go do that right now. The show is brought to you by Ghostbed. We at Failure to Stop love Ghostbed. Sleep so good that it's scary. You can go out there and try ghost beds for 101 nights. And if you don't like it, you can take it back. That's a guarantee that we can make to you because we know it's never going to happen. We know that ghost beds are the only mattress that is literally made in the United States. All other mattresses come from other more terrible countries. They've got their adjustable frame, their cooling pillows. They keep you cool on autumn nights like tonight when you're feeling scared and afraid. You get that chill going down your spine and there's no way to recover because you're in a ghost bed. Go to uh, ghostbed.com. Use the offer code WOLFPACK. You can get 40% off on their website. If you go there and you see a more spookier deal, go ahead and use that. But in the comments section, tell them that Eric Tanzi and the Failure to Stop Gang sent you so that you can support your favorite podcast. We appreciate that. That's how we keep it going around here. Uh, also, go to Office of Privacy. If you're a police officer, your job's spooky enough. You don't need your family threatened, your livelihood threatened, your personal life threatened. Go to officerprivacy.com forward slash WOLFPACK. They can give you all the tools you need to keep your personal life from getting out in the open. We know that uh, you're just one shift away from being on CNN. So for the love of God, protect yourself. This is another form of insurance. Go out there, make sure that people online cannot find out where you live or where you go to school or where you go to church or whatever. Officer privacy makes it very easy for you to get those tools that you need to protect yourself and your family, particularly going into a political season. You're already vulnerable enough out there. Your admin's leaving you hanging. Don't leave yourself hanging too. Finally, factor meals. If you want to feed yourself and you don't want to be a chump like everyone else at your agency eating their hungry man dinners or eating out every night, getting full of rage and cholesterol from having a stressful job and eating Burger King, go out there and get factor meals. Those are fresh, never frozen meals that get delivered right to you. You can go online. There's over 300 meal options. You can pick out what you want to eat for the, for the next week. Get that ship right to your door. It's nice and cool. Put it in the fridge. You can microwave those. You can heat them up conventionally, too. They're delicious. You can also get the smoothies that come with them, sometimes referred to erroneously around here as shakes. They do not have milk in them. They're smoothies. <laughs> They're fruit. 
So you could have those for breakfast when you're rolling out the door and you're headed into work. Kendra, how are you doing the last week? Pretty good. I'm still trying to crank out some more content than I promised everybody that I haven't done yet, but it's in the, it's in the chamber. So <laughs> it's in the chamber. Don't worry about promised content. We get uh, people hanging on around here that like, particularly with Patreon, they're already paying for it. So it's like, you know, all you have to do is constantly promise them that it's coming and they, they won't <laughs> cancel their subscription because, you know, as soon as they cancel it, you know, then we put it out and then they have all that messy cognitive dissonance about the decisions that they make. Uh, Kendra and I put out a, a show, <laughs> a variety show where we do funny, silly things. And it's pretty much my goal to make Kendra laugh as hard as possible. And if I can make Kendra laugh, there's a chance that I could possibly make you laugh, too. So it's worth it. If you want to go to Patreon, <laughs> get extra failure to stop stuff. There's all kinds of stuff on there. Josh puts out an episode uh, with Kiefer that they talk about firefighter stuff. I talk about uh, correctional stuff on hard time with uh, my partner, Jake. Drew and Eric put out stuff. Eric's got uh, really cool specials. Uh, T-Bones with Tansy. He did one uh, a little while ago with uh, Lastro Lopez that was pretty funny. So if you want more failure to stop and you don't mind nickel and diming yourself for the price of uh, less than a cup of coffee, you know, the way coffee is anymore, you can get a lot more failure to stop failure to stop stuff on Patreon. What's our story tonight? I know that you said you wanted to do uh, either something out of Wisconsin or Florida because those are the only two <laughs> states apparently that have spooky, terrible shit going on. And this one's a Florida one. So we flipped a coin and got Florida. So what's our what's our story about? And in, 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 invite us into your world and introduce us to Mr. Danny Rollins, if I'm getting his name right. Yeah, Danny Rolling Rolling. However Rowling. you want to pronounce Rowling. that. Rolling. <clears throat> yeah, his crimes inspired the Scream franchise. Um and no, that's not the one where Sandra Bullock is wearing a blindfold. Okay, I haven't seen every movie, okay? Everyone is out there kind of coming after me because I haven't seen their favorite movie. I'm working on it, okay? I don't I don't have a lot of free time to watch movies, but yes, I'm going to watch Scream with Sandra Bullock or whoever's in it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what Bird Box is, which is crazy. Because... Yeah, that's the one with John Krasinski where they're not allowed to talk. No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> You're joking, right? I'm just going to let it lie. <laughs> okay. All right. If, if you think it's funny, I'm definitely joking. Our story. No. If you, think I'm, if you just think I'm stupid, then no. It's, no. Then it's a joke if you think I'm stupid. Anyway, go back to, to, go back to Danny Rowling. Okay. This case comes out of Gainesville, Florida, which is actually kind of close to where I grew up, um, probably an hour away from where I grew up. Um, I was not born when this happened, so I don't remember it, but it's still kind of close to home. I probably remember it. You probably will. Um, I'm so old. I was there. <laughs> well, it only happened in the 90s, so I mean, you were. Oh, yeah, man. I was already around. 10 by the time the 90s got around. <laughs> So August of 1990, five university students, um, University of Florida and Santa Fe College, were murdered seemingly randomly. Um, this struck the uh, area pretty well because at the time it was a really small place and not a lot was going on. Um, <clears throat> the area has a lot of history I would say with some other famous serial killers, though, because there's a, um, a prison there 
a lot of them were executed at that prison. Ted Bundy was executed there. George Schaefer was executed there. A couple of others. Um, <clears throat> so it's kind of popular in that regard, but not a lot of the actual crimes were committed in the area. So this was this was pretty shocking. Um, two girls, let's see, one, two, three, four girls and one male were murdered <clears throat> between these two colleges. Um, the first two were uh, Christina Powell and Sonia Larson. These two girls were starting their college career. They hadn't even begun their first day of college yet. They were enrolled at the University of Florida. They met over the summer in between high school and college, and they became fast friends. So they decided that they were going to get off-campus housing together at an apartment nearby. This kind of made their parents a little nervous because, again, these are young girls, 18 years old. Um, <clears throat> this is the 90s. Um, they're... They didn't really have cell phones. I say 90s. It was 1990. Um, no real way to get in contact with their parents. So it was a little nerve-wracking for, for them, but they wanted to let them spread their wings and be adults. A couple of days go by. It's the week before they're supposed to start class, and their parents haven't heard anything from, the, from either of them. Uh, Christina's parents lived kind of close by. So after a few days, they went and checked on the girls, knocked on the door. There was no answer. They get in touch with the apartment management who contact law enforcement to assist them with a forced entry. Upon now, entry Kendra, you're a police officer, and this is what makes, if you don't pardon my interruption, sure. but this is, this is Please. what makes us better than other true crime shows. Okay. <laughs> so, Cause you have all these, uh, you know, women out there in their Ugg boots and their lattes and their charmed lives. And they're out there like, well, you know, why do the police react this way? So do you mind just talking through some of the basics for our non-police audience on what it takes for, uh, you know, a, a worried parent worried about their 18-year-old child, you know, clearly not a child. What does it take for you to have uh, enough uh, probable cause to kick in a door to check on somebody? Well, obviously, it has to be pretty suspicious if you're going to be doing that. Um, you have to have some sort of um, thought that whoever's inside is in imminent danger or is injured or something like that. Um, we often would get well-being checks for people who just didn't want to talk to their mom and dad or didn't want to talk to their brother or whoever is calling. And we go knock on the door and they'd answer. We'd get the story and everything was fine. Um, for something like this, it's a little weird because they're young girls. Um, so you think they're out just alone. partying and having having a good time? So I mean, isn't that isn't that what you would think as a police officer that really nothing's amiss here? It's possible. Um, college it, the school hadn't started yet, so I don't really know how much they would. I mean, maybe there was some pre um, <clears throat> year festivities or whatever. But it, it apparently had been several days, and it was very unusual for these girls to be doing that. Um, there wasn't too much information on this other than that they were worried and law enforcement was I got contacted. You. You, don't um, have, you, don't, you don't have a lot of that information about why they wanted to, to kick in the door and check. But go ahead and go on with the story. Right. So they went and did a welfare check. So they ended up getting inside the... Uh, the apartment. I'm assuming 
if management was there, maybe they just unlocked the door. Maybe there was no real forced entry. I guess technically that's forced entry. I don't know. Now, now, Kendra, you told me before the podcast that you would do welfare checks on people where the door would be unlocked. The manager would show up with a key. But because you are a police officer, you would kick in the door anyway because you're illegally allowed to do that. Do you stand by that? Um, yes, I actually it wasn't because I was legally allowed to do it. It's because I am really short and I had to prove something to people. So I had to break yeah. as many door jams as possible. You have a very low center of gravity. So it's in a sense, it's very easy for you, <laughs> but you still have to kick very high because the doorknob just comes right up to your face, right? Exactly. I was doing high kicks all the time. Okay. In fact, I wore boots that were three sizes too big just so I could do that. And to throw off the people who were tracking you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't there a wasn't there a case that you covered recently where someone was wearing boots that were a different size? Maybe that was a different true crime show I was watching, but it was there was somebody that was wearing boots that were the wrong size to throw off people who were tracking him. That's really smart. That wasn't yeah. me, but that's well, very smart. I mean, it was you in the past as a police officer, which you probably looked pretty goofy at roll call when you're rolling in there in those clown shoes. <laughs> And you just said to the sergeant, so people, so the rest of you can't track me. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Go on. Okay. I'm having a call back to our first Mad Lib session where the sergeant was the murderer. Oh, yes. Anyway. Spoiler so, alert. Yeah. So they get, oh, shit, my bad. Um, anyway, so they get inside this apartment and the property manager, her name was uh, Betty Kernett. Probably mispronouncing that. That doesn't sound made up at all. She, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, to those listening, she just like raised her hands up in the air and just made up a name. Betty, Betty Kern, Kernit. C U R N U T T. I don't know how else to pronounce that. Betty Kernit. Um, that's, not a, that's not a real name. She said, okay. <laughs> she said when they made entry into the apartment, she saw the young lady on the bed. You could tell oh. she was in bad position. Ooh, what does that mean? So the scene that was uncovered was um, Christina on the floor, on the first floor of the apartment. She was on the living room floor, stabbed to death. Ah, oh, shit. Um, the second floor was Sonia. She was on the bed. She was also stabbed to death. Both of the girls had been um, raped. They were mm. bound with duct tape at one point. There was residue on their ankles and their wrists. Um, one of them had soap on her and they investigators assume this was to clean any sort of um, evidence that had been left behind by the hmm. intruder was this in a, an apartment complex normally yes. so how come ain't, how come ain't nobody here in there these women screaming and they're getting stabbed and raped these are some bad neighbors kendra i know well there was duct tape so maybe the person put duct tape over their mouth and it could be the i guess Still, I'm when I used to live in an apartment, so when I was in college, I would spend all night with my ear up against the wall listening for the sounds of muffled screaming. And believe you me, I heard some things. I was calling the police every single night, but never was a, a stabbing. Okay. <laughs> she has no idea what to make out of that. Maybe, never mind. I was going to make a crude joke, but I will save that for Don't you. do that. This is not a crude podcast. Oh, wait. <laughs> so... Anyway, this 
This was just the beginning of the reign of terror that was brought upon the town of Gainesville by Danny Rowling. Now, Danny Rowling was born in 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana, to 19-year-old Claudia and his father, James. Um, he had a younger sibling named Kevin. Um, James was a police officer, and of course, Danny reports that he was um, alcoholic, abusive to his mother. Oh, what? Yeah, this is a theme throughout all of these cases. Um, some of it is true, some of it isn't, so... It's hard to it's hard to know for sure, but this is what was reported. Um, he, as the boys got older, apparently he started getting more physically violent with them as well. Um, he was a Korean War veteran and struggled with uh, PTSD, so that probably contributed to that a little bit. Um, because of this abuse, Danny claims that he developed multiple personalities as a defense mechanism over the years, oh, yeah. and he turned to music and art as a form of oh i thought you're gonna say i have multiple personalities and all of them are serial killers i'm like that's not a very good defense danny to be honest with you <laughs> that would be a that would be like an american horror story episode yeah. um you probably don't know what that is i saw the so, first season the first season is yeah that's probably the best one to be honest with you yeah they were going downhill so i turned them off and then by the time Lady Gaga came around, I'm just like, I'm, I'm done with this. Oh, that was a good one. I could, well, let's not get on a tangent about that. Um, <laughs> Danny joined the Air Force after high school, but he was kicked out in 1972 for drug possession charge. Um, after the Air Force, he lived with his grandpa and his life started to get somewhat normal, really. Um, he married, had a child. But as time went on, he started to unfortunately exact the same abuse onto his family that his dad did on him. And Couldn't break the cycle, yeah. Nope. And this went on for a while. She eventually left him with their daughter. Um, this made him, this divorce made him kind of turn for the worse. And he started uh, acting out some of these like issues that he's had. Um, he raped a woman. He started robbing grocery stores and banks. He was in and out of jail in Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana, all of these different places for these types of crimes all through the 80s. Um, in 19, November of 1989, he was fired from a job that he maintained somehow. <laughs> um, and this well, you, kind you of... say he maintained it, but he did get fired, so... Well, he had the job before he got fired. I don't know how he had it. I don't know how he did this. Yeah. How do you go in there and you're like, you know, I'm noticing several gaps in your resume. You're like, yes, I've been robbing stores and raping people. I didn't put that on there because I didn't know if it would come up. But thank you for asking. <laughs> the skills I've gained through those that experience isn't applicable to. Why does job. it say when there's skills? Why does it say tape? That's a very weird skill. <laughs> Not tying. <laughs> <laughs> sneaking around. Sneak. I'm very good at sneaking. I would love to put that up there. Sneaking around. Sneaking I'm around very stealthy. Night. I'm nearly <laughs> invisible at night. I, I, I've been in your neighborhood even and you didn't even know it. I watched your wife get dressed last night and you did oh. not know. <laughs> oh boy. 
Man, I would love to see a, an interview like that. See how that would go. I just, I, I keep a gun <laughs> on my desk. Who like, yeah, you're, 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 I'm firing you from life. It feels like an SNL skit for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Danny gets fired from this job, and this, uh, this event caused him to snap again, um, and he would go on to break into the home of Julie Grissom, who was a neighbor of his. Um, inside the home was also her eight-year-old uh, nephew, Sean Grissom, and her 55-year-old father, Tom Grissom. Danny would murder all three of these people. Ah, shit. By way of stabbing. You know, every time you mention a person, I hold out the hope that they're that they're just being mentioned for no reason. But no, they all turn out to be victims. Every single person in this story dies. Just so so yes, every single person. So how many victims are we up to at this point? Right now in eight nineteen eighty eighteen ninety nine. No, eighteen ninety nine. As of nineteen eighty nine, Danny has killed three people now that we know of at this point. Julie, now, Sean, when, and when did he start? I'm trying to remember the exact year they started because I thought you said they started it. Why well, started? Remember... I Tarantinoed it. Remember, I started. Oh, you Tarantinoed it. Yeah. Okay. So, but prior to 1989 and prior to the two girls, before he killed those two college girls, how many people had he killed? Three. Okay. So he's up to five with the college girls. Go ahead. No. <laughs> Hold on. Let me clarify. <laughs> the college girls, the college killings in Gainesville didn't happen until 90. This is in 1989 when he's still in Louisiana. He's been robbing okay. and raping, but no killing that we know of. Okay. So he's, he's been kind of taking it easy, you know, Danny yes. Rollins. He's warming himself up. Rollins-wise, he's, he's still just warming up, yeah. He doesn't want to pull a muscle, so he's warming up. Okay. Um, so anyway, he... <laughs> what? <laughs> Get a load of this. Let's look what I'm about to do. <laughs> he's just, like, stretching his hammies out, like, watch this. That's very important. So he murders these three people in this home. He doesn't know Julie. He doesn't know these people. They live in his neighborhood. But investigators believe that she was targeted, which I'm sure she was. I'm sure he had been watching her. And the attack was meant for Julie, but the two um, others just happened to be there. So he murdered them as well. Mm. Um, so so he, he knew Julie or he had been watching her? He didn't know her personally. Oh, okay. But he was he was around the area. People knew him in the area. Okay. But they weren't like personal friends. Okay. Um, so they kind of suspected it was Danny, but this is 1989. Nobody really knows. There's no real clues. Um, similar to the girls from the top of the episode, he had tried to clean up his crimes with vinegar. Um and really the only type of DNA that they had back then was blood typing. So again, they had suspicions, but they weren't really sure. Um, a few, a few days later, after this triple homicide, Danny gets into an argument with his father. Cause he's living at home with his parents at this time. He shoots James, his father in the stomach and the head during this dispute. James survives. Danny flees Louisiana and he goes to Florida. So now we're in Florida. He's killed three people. He's raped 
probably multiple women. He's robbed a bunch of stores. He's been in and out of jail, in and out of prison, probably. Um, he's now shot his father, and he's fled the state, and now he's in Florida. But um, his father didn't didn't die. Did I understand you correctly? Correct. His father survived. Okay, just somehow. <laughs> so he so he survived to just go on and in, in in terrible pain. In other words, right. I mean, he was okay. shot in the stomach and the head. That's pretty. That's pretty fucking. Yeah. Honestly, honestly, you're not. I don't know because his body count is pretty good. But if you shoot someone in the head and the stomach, then you know, are you a good murderer? You know, I don't know. Like, how how do you <laughs> how do you you know put that on your resume? I, I had many successful murders and like one failed murder. But when it's he your dad, himself. you know, the dad counts for doubles. So I just wonder how that works. Go ahead. Well, he definitely redeems himself later. So when he finds himself in Florida now, he's in Gainesville and he uh, he's a wanted man for multiple reasons at this point. So naturally, he sets up shop in the woods. Somewhere near does, yeah. right somewhere near the University of Florida, which is Gators, Gator Nation, if you will. Um, that's their mascot. Also, there are gators everywhere. Yeah, I wasn't sure where you were going. Um, around around here, the local university, their uh, their mascot is the owls. The owls. There's a, there's a lot of owls around here too. Big ones. That's cute. Car- carry off little kids at night. Like Mothman. Uh, no, we need to do a Mothman episode next week, though. I am huge into Mothman. Next week. Or is whatever. that a true? I feel like that's a night shift thing. I don't know. I feel like maybe. Yeah, you should go on night shift with Ant and Tansy and do that. Maybe. I mean, we could do it too, but we might be stealing their thunder. I'm okay with stealing so. their thunder. <laughs> so anyway, um, Danny is now in Gainesville, and he has taken up residence as a homeless man in the woods. Now we're in 1990. Now we're getting to the murders of Christina and Sonia, as I talked about at the top of the episode. Um, I already went over their murders, but just to recap, August 24th, 1990, is when um, Christina's parents come to make contact with the girls because they hadn't heard them in a while. Property managers and law enforcement enter the home, enter the apartment, and they find both the girls stabbed, raped, and um, murdered in the home. One of the peculiar things about the scene, though, was that Sonia was positioned post mortem. She was laying on the bed, um, her feet on the ground, and her hair was like someone had fixed it to where it was like splayed out like this. Oh, like that's fear. fucked up. Yeah, I don't like yeah. that. Is that like um, a? So how do you do that? Like hairspray and a blow dryer or like, how do you get that like that? (laughs) I think he just like moved it and like manipulated it around to make it look like that. So her hair was tussled. It wasn't actually stylized. Sure. No, no blow drying. Staging is very fucked up. And if for, if you have a serial killer that's designing somebody's hair, that's pretty fucked up. But if it's just, (laughs) you know, then it's fine. I'm getting more like Buffalo Bill vibes again from last exactly. week. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, no, she was just positioned this way. Um, it was very obviously um, sexual in nature, the way that she was laid out. Um, her injuries were a little, obviously she had stab wounds, but they were a little different from Christina's. Um, the girls 
like I said, they'd both been raped, one one during the attacks and then one after he'd murdered them. I don't know which one. It doesn't matter. But um, that was that scene, again, August 24th. A couple days later on August 26th, um, Santa Fe College student and aspiring police officer Krista Hoyt failed to show up for a part-time job that she had with the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, which is the county that this is in. Um, she's also young. She was a police explorer, and this is how she got you know, the job there, working part-time. Detective Ray Barber, who actually also responded to the Christina and um, Sonia scene a couple of days earlier, him and another detective were dispatched to Krista's home to check on her because it was very unlike her. They couldn't get a hold of her. They conducted a well-being check and they discovered another grisly scene. Um, Krista had been stabbed. She'd been raped, mutilated, and decapitated. Hmm. She was also um, positioned post-mortem. She was seated on her bed, feet on the floor, slumped over at the waist. Hmm. Her head was found uh, perched on top of her bookshelf. Oh, my God. And there was no real um, sign of a struggle or anything like that. It's similar with the last scene. Really, there's no nothing to show that there was a fight. So now they're thinking, okay, well, this person's coming in in the middle of the night when these girls are asleep. Um, I just want to take a moment to talk about Detective Bar- uh, Barber because him and every other investigator throughout this entire story did a phenomenal job and they handled this the way that you would want any any crime to be handled but they were very stand up and they openly admitted when they were when they made a mistake or they should have done this and they didn't and you'll hear that throughout the story but this poor man had to still recover from seeing Christina and Sonia's scene Two days later, he's responding to a scene for a young woman that he knows personally. And um, he's quoted um, from from this scene. He's quoted and he says, I did not want to see that young lady that meant so much to me. I didn't want that to be what I carried in my mind of her for the rest of my life. Oh, man. Yeah, that's awful. It's really awful. And um I was reading on this case and my heart was going out to him because that's just, I can't imagine that. That's terrible. Yeah. That's kind of the the bad thing about uh, policing in a small community. I don't know how it is where you were because Florida just seems real damn big to me, but coming across (laughs) people, you knew, you knew and seeing them meet bad ends, even for me um, as a correctional officer at the state prison for many years. And not that I have like warm or fond memories of certain people, but as you can imagine, people that were in prison, a lot of them tend to get out, and uh, but they're still deeply uh, staked in a life of crime. And so later, I'll I'll, find, I'll read the you know newspaper or something as old people like me are want to do, and I'll see that like oh some so and so that I used to used to know from prison, yeah he got uh, he got horribly murdered last night. He went down in a hail of gunfire, 
And it's, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not at all comparable to what he's talking about, but it is, um, it's, it's a bad thing when you, when you know someone and you can identify the, with the victim personally and you know them and, and they're gone. So I can only imagine how it must've been for him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a couple of people that come to mind too, where you, you start to, <clears throat> you build relationships with them in a really like kind of a fucked up way because your relationship is you're always arresting them, <laughs> but they're yeah. not it's not personal. It's just that they're, they have like an addiction or they're always just like doing dumb shit and they're getting in trouble and not yeah. hurting anybody except themselves. And then you find out that they overdosed or, um, their partners murdered them in a DV incident or something like that. And it is, it is kind of sad. It does hit you a little bit. It hits you a little bit. And if it doesn't, then you probably should check in with yourself because yeah, <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. And, 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 you know, overdoses or, you know, people, uh, going down, uh, while they're doing their crimes are one thing finding a young woman decapitated and staged i mean that's uh that's nightmare fuel that's shit that's gonna fuck you up the rest of your life so and she did nothing wrong she was just trying to literally become a police officer and go yeah. to college and be a normal young girl and she you know gets attacked like this it's disgusting it is um so two days after that on august 28th Two more University of Florida students were found stabbed to death in their um, in their apartment. Uh, Manny Taboda and Tracy Pauls uh, were best friends since high school, and they both got accepted to the same university, so they decided they were going to room together. Um, one night, they were found. I, I don't know exactly what night they were actually murdered. Um, I don't know if all of these happened on the same night. This is just how they were found. So the the initial was on the 24th. Four days later, we now have five bodies. Um, the scene at Manny and Tracy's apartment was one of a struggle. This one was a big struggle. So <clears throat> the intruder breaks into the home, sees Manny in the living room asleep. They start to fight. Um, he's ultimately stabbed to death. And Tracy was also unfortunately stabbed to death. Um, I believe the intruder probably wasn't expecting uh, a man to be in this home. And that's why there was such a fight. He probably took him by surprise a little bit. And um, one of the investigators said that there were, there was hours. He believed there were hours at this scene. This guy was there for hours. So he probably killed Manny after the struggle and then was there with Tracy alone um she was she was also raped um she was bound with tape she also had soap on her similar to the first girls um and that's i mean that that one's a little more succinct but that's that scene so now we've got three crime scenes very similar mo's absolutely no leads was there was there post mortem staging in that last one you just described? Where where they no? No, no she Tracy was just laid on the floor, kind of like that's how she ended up. I think he was probably in a little bit of a hurry because okay. I know they say there were hours, but he probably just did the job and got out of there whenever he was finished because of the hmm. struggle. I would assume that he would be worried, like you were saying, that someone would hear. Yeah. And come to investigate. Yeah. I know I mentioned it last week. It's just a damn good book if you haven't read it, but Mindhunter by John Douglas. He would talk a lot about um, postmortem staging 
and uh, how how much that would tell you about a killer and how ironically as a as an investigator or an fbi agent detective or whatever uh, you would hope for a lot of things like that because it would give you a lot of insight into them so and it would also obviously link cases together if they're doing something very specific like you mentioned earlier putting heads on bookcases or whatever or you know staging the women uh, sexually suggestively you know th those things are huge insights they link cases together if he's cleaning up evidence you know even even the soap being left behind is something that you know not that that this guy's the only one that's ever done that, but it's something they can use to link cases together and get convictions down the road and ha hopefully help you identify the suspect. But uh, it, it, this one's uh, weird because he's he's got a pattern, but he doesn't exactly have a type of victim because he's he's had at least two men, right? I mean, he also attacked his father. So it seems, seems like yeah. he's pretty opportunistic. Would you agree? Opportunistic is a good word. Yeah, I think... Um... I'm about to, I'm about to get into some of the evidence of the scene and everything like that. So I'll, I'll touch it. on it more, but one of the things that they notice is that all of these um, targets are near woods. So, and he lives in the woods. So it's like a quick getaway. Um, okay. He didn't know any of these, any of his victims. The only victim that he knew was his father and his father didn't die, but he still shot him. So this is like, you know, there's a saying that is brought up a lot within the law enforcement community where it's like, when you get a home invasion, nine times out of 10, it's drug related. The person knows the intruder. It's some sort of gang activity, something or another like that. Very, very rarely is it a random home invasion where someone just busts in the door and wants to terrorize random people he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of those cases where it's like totally random it's not it's it's a targeted attack it's it's opportunistic somewhat but he's breaking yeah. into these homes you know so it's not quite that opportunistic i think he was watching these people for a while um, well yeah his pathology is totally different we're talking about the kind of person that decapitates someone and puts their head in a bookcase so he he's not driven by the regular things whether it's gangs or drugs or whatever this this guy uh uh, you want to maybe say that he's mentally ill or just say that he's fucking evil? Like those are the, <laughs> that's the point that we constantly flip on this show. So, well, just to clarify real quick, when I say someone's mentally ill, I almost am say in this case, in these types of cases, I almost say it as a joke because, you know, mental illness doesn't lead to this. You know what I'm saying? Like it could no. be a, a part of who this person is, but right. that's all it is, is a part of who they are. It yeah. doesn't necessarily drive their actions. So I almost say it as a joke because obviously this is more than mental illness. This is something else, but yeah, I, I think it, I think it takes a, a combination of a few factors for you to go from being at some point, normal human being uh, to decapitator. There's, there's extra steps in there. Yeah. A couple at least. That's why, why there's not a lot of them, a lot of decapitators out there. Yeah. <laughs> go on though. So, Law enforcement initially suspected um, an, a student at the University of Florida, a freshman by the name of Ed Humphreys. Um, he was cleared, though, because, like I said, they did some blood typing and they got they got some semen samples from these uh, crime scenes. And um, he wasn't the right blood type. So he was cleared, but he was detained and he was held in um, custody until they realized who it actually was. 
The, the killings had, like I said, a lot of similarities. The intruder came through the back door on all of the apartments. They were all close to wooded areas. Stabbing, raping, mutilation were all part of this MO, the cleaning up after the post, the postmortem positioning. Um, but they still couldn't really figure out what the hell was going on because this guy, again, was not linked to any of these people. Um, finally, they had a little bit of a break. The same day that Krista was murdered, a bank robbery took place. And um, it was it, it was a... I can't remember where it was at, but it doesn't matter. It was close by, and it was on the same day that Krista was murdered. Hmm. Um, a, a red dye pack was put into the bag and given to the robber. <laughs> yeah, the robber, um, <laughs> yes. I like how you and I have only been podcasting for a couple of weeks, but we already have our own callbacks. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. Officers in the area saw and followed a man into a wooded area that they suspected was the the guy. Um, He got away, but they found his campsite. And at the campsite um, was a screwdriver, the bag full of money with the red dye, and a cassette player with a tape inside of it. And uh, a neck saw, if I'm not mistaken. A neck saw. I didn't see that, but I'm sure... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what cassette tape was it? Oh, it was a recording that that this person made themselves. Oh, we got to hear that recording. <laughs> I couldn't find it, but I bet you yeah. uh, we could we could get it though. We could absolutely get it. Um, yeah. It's it's evidence, so we could request it and get it at some point. Um, anyway, during the uh, investigations, detectives came across a cold case out of Shreveport, Louisiana which would end up being the Grissom family murders. This uh, struck investigators because the MO was very similar to the murders that have been happening, um, the stabbing, the raping, the cleaning up after. Um, and not long after they made this discovery, a, a woman came forward. Her name was um, Cindy Dobin. She was She's from Shreveport. Uh, but she was traveling in the panhandle of Florida and she overheard about these murders and she immediately thought, that sounds like that guy that used to come to my house for dinner all the time, Danny Rowling. Sounds like, sounds like that guy that used to murder me all the time. <laughs> yeah. I want to just do a quick PSA. If you if you or someone you know is kind of murderish, Maybe don't wait until there's been a whole bunch of murders to like put it all together. Like, yeah, it seems like that guy I know. This I, is something. There's, there's, there's so many true crime cases where like the, there'll be a bunch of murders and some kind of evidence comes out, you know, and then and then all of a sudden people just sort of realize, oh yeah, it's my buddy, my murderish, creepy buddy. Like, just start tattling now, people. This is something that comes up again and again and again with these cases where people have friends or relatives or acquaintances who make suspicious comments, have these weird habits, have said, Sorry, I'm I want dinner. To I was person. covered in blood. <laughs> or I, they was cleaning, just... I was cleaning up a bunch of semen. That's why I'm late to dinner. I'm sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> Ew. Anyway. Sorry. That's the what men- this guy did, no. though. He raped people. I didn't do it's- it. 
No, it's the mental image of someone just cleaning up a bunch of semen that just I was like ah. the brush, uh, wiping Ew. the forehead. Man, this is a lot of work being being a horrible rapist murderer. <laughs> Why couldn't I have collected stamps? Why does it have to be this? <laughs> it is a lot of work, but this is something that comes up and it really irks me a lot that. If you have someone in your life that's that's showing these behaviors and telling telling you, I want to murder so-and-so, I want to hurt so-and-so, I'm going to kill such-and-such, do not blow it off. I don't understand what these people, because this, this woman, Cindy, mm -hmm. this Danny fellow would come to her house for dinner a lot, um, and after a while, he was starting to really like get comfortable and showing his weird side and yeah. her her um husband kicked like told him you can't come here anymore and he came in and was like that guy's gotta go he likes sticking knives in people oh and they were talking about the grism family murders and they didn't fucking do anything they didn't say anything they just said okay you gotta go like that's kind of how it was back in the 80s, though. It was very uncommon to meet someone who hadn't murdered somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. And fair the, other enough. Thing is, the other thing is it's difficult because, um, you know, especially nowadays, everyone's uh, always outraged all the time and everyone's always overly suspicious. As a 911 dispatcher, I get calls about suspicious vans all the time. Like Ted Bundy had like a permanent effect on the white van. You cannot drive a white van and expect that no one call the police on you. I guarantee you, if you've ever driven a white van, someone has called the police. There's nothing inherently suspicious about a white van. It just, it creeps people out. But the other thing is that uh, there's so much noise when it comes to suspicious persons report, like not to get into the stats, but I recently uh, read a report that of all the different call types that come into a 911 dispatch agency, the most one that's usually incorrect or unfounded is suspicious person and i can totally believe that like this past weekend i took a call about a car in a ditch and it was on a sunny afternoon and the woman called me and she says i i just don't, don't have a good feeling about it this there's this car in this ditch and it's got a blanket hanging out the back window i'm like okay and she goes and it's been there for a long time when i first saw it it was at two o'clock in the afternoon and i look at the clock and it's like 5 30 i'm like okay so this car's been there and a sunny afternoon for two and a half hours and she goes and she goes, and I, I won't go down the, down, down there to check. I'm, I'm a single white female. And I'm just like, I don't know what your race has to do with it. But I'm a single female. And they say that's what they do, that they lie in wait for you. And I'm just like, lady, this is at a major intersection. For and three and a no, half hours. Nobody's going to lay there for three and a half hours and wait for you to come down to do something terrible to you. So, like, we, you know, now because of all these damned true crime podcasts, people are afraid. <laughs> Oh, and the human trafficking stuff. Oh, yes. Oh, my uh, God. Yes. <laughs> you have any idea how many times I'm sending police officers to gas stations because, like, teenage girls are assholes to their grandfathers? You know, that happens a lot. They're like, she's being trafficked. She's in danger. And the cops go out, and it's just like, no, it's some girl with her actual grandfather, and she's just being 14, you know, which, you know, being 14 <laughs> stuff or whatever, try to empathize a little bit, but it's just people will also say, I'm calling because I'm a mandatory reporter or I'm calling because I just, we just had this seminar at work about how bad human trafficking is. I'm just like, you know, it's, and it's post nine 11, see something, say something. So we do have a lot of people telling us about shit going on. 
to the point now where we can't tell what's suspicious because there's overreporting. So I don't know. Yeah, it's like the just got done telling people that if you've got a friend who's murderous, tell everyone. You know, okay. tell the police. There's a large difference between someone you know personally giving you actual like, I want to kill, like telling you you're gonna kill, they're gonna kill somebody, and somebody calling because they saw a rubber duck on a jeep and they think it's a human trafficking sign. I, just throwing that know. out there. It's tough because all you ever talk about with me is murder, so I don't know. <laughs> In well, horror movies that you've apparently never seen or get confused with other movies that aren't horror movies. Um, <laughs> so anyway, this tip comes in from this Cindy gal, and she said, I, I know a guy you should probably look into. His name is Danny Rowling. Uh, this would prove to be a great tip because one of the screw-ups that they do openly admit to and, and they realize it was a mistake, um, they didn't they didn't listen to the tape for months why i would listen to the tape right away i'd put it in the tape deck, leaving the crime scene like we just found this weird recorded tape i'm definitely I listening know. to it what if it's a taped confession for the love of god what if he's just like <sighs> just got done legally murdering someone i you know danny rollins confessed to murder uh you know this is a statement against interest <laughs> my lawyer is here you know what if he fucking said that you know i know i know so <laughs> On the tape, um, it's just him rambling and singing um, hymns that he That's made up. And he does, at one point, identify himself as Danny Harold Rowling. So now oh, they know good. this guy clearly robbed the bank. Um, at, the, at this time, they're not thinking that he's the murderer. They still have Ed Humphreys in custody at this time for that. Um, but they at least have this suspect for this robbery um when they yeah. go to locate him it turns out he was already in jail for another armed robbery that he committed at a grocery store 40 miles south in marion county he was in jail for that marion county um, comes up a lot did marion county come up last week or did did it get mentioned in the tupac thing i don't know for some for whatever reason i'm just hearing that a lot because we had a case on one on another show hard time where we were talking about marion county where's marion county is that there's a couple place, there's a couple of Marion counties like throughout the nation. The one in Florida has the only town, the only like town that anyone would actually know of is Ocala. Oh, um, okay. It's very r rural. I can't say that word, excuse me. Um and the Ocala <laughs> the Ocala National Forest is in Marion County. Just like Skunkape. Yeah, you, so you see how we have a theme here going, folks. Florida is just fucked, pretty much. Um, but the Ocala National Forest is actually something that I want to cover at some point, maybe on night shift, because that, it's, it is, I think it's, if it's not the largest, it's one of the largest national forests in the country. And I grew up in that forest. It, there's a bomb, there's like a military, there's a bombing range, a military training there. There's, um, a lot of uh, occult activity, murders, um, cryptids. There's a lot of civil war history there. It's a I like wild. You've got on record to say that there are cryptids there. I love it. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Le alleged. We don't want to get sued by these cryptids, so we have to say they're <laughs> allegedly there. <laughs> they own the word cryptid. 
TM. There's just a lot of <laughs> yes, it's a trademark. Don't don't mention us. There's a lot of shit going there. Um, a lot of serial killers have dumped bodies there. Eileen Warnos, Ted Bundy, George Schaefer, all kinds of people. Like it's a it's a wild place, and I would love to cover it. Anyway, um, this this person I <laughs> got sidetracked with the with the forest, but <laughs> uh, Danny is like I said in jail for a robbery that he committed at a grocery store of all places. Like what the fuck. Um, he committed this robbery 10 days after uh, Manny and Tracy were found. So he's just on a, a spree. Like, he's been on a spree. But he's really just going at it. Um, turns out Danny's blood type matches the blood type that was found at the scenes of the murder. He possessed a screwdriver that they believed was used to break into these homes. Um, and so in November 1991, Danny was charged with the five murders at these uh, colleges. So while he was awaiting trial um, for the killings, he was served a life sentence for a federal, for the federal robbery charges that he was committing. So now he's in prison for life at this point. Yeah. So that's the good news. Um, <laughs> he's not going anywhere. So now they can investigate this without like worrying about him getting out. Um while he was in prison, he confessed to a cellmate, Bobby Lewis. Of He confessed to him about the murders. Nice. He wrote, Lewis wrote like five pages of information that Danny was giving him freely, just talking and out of his mind. Um, Lewis told the right people investigators came down to talk with him and Danny at the same time. They said that Lewis was kind of the mouthpiece for Danny because Danny was pretending to like be out of it or whatever. But Lewis is telling them um, some of the details of the murders and one of a couple of them, which kind of is, it sucks, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When he, <laughs> when he murdered Krista, the uh, police explorer, he committed the, the murder he left he realized oh i forgot my wallet he goes oh. back and this is when he decides he's going to decapitate her oh, so did it after the fact when he went back to get his wallet according to him yes this is what oh he, my gosh so you're just did. like uh, he gets back and he's just like well I, I left his murder here but it's not horrifying enough i better cut i better cut off her head and put it on on a shelf he just wanted more. He wanted to just cause utter destruction and what a gravity. Sick fucker. Oh my God. I know. I know. Um, another horrifying thing when he broke into Manny and Tracy's apartment and he killed after he killed Manny, Tracy ran away, locked herself in a bedroom. He busted through the door. And when he got to her, he she asked him, You're the one, aren't you? And he said, Yeah, it's me. And because she, she knew, obviously, about the other girls that had been murdered. And I'm just thinking how horrifying that must have been for her to realize what was about to happen to her. Yeah. And there was nothing she could do about it. She just watched her best friend get murdered and she knows what's coming. She tried to hide. And it was futile. It's just makes your stomach churn, really. Yeah. That's awful. I know. Um, throughout the investigations, uh, Danny would not, 
confess to the Shreveport murders. That being um, the Grissom family, you mean? Yes. He re- he would not admit to it. I don't know why, but maybe because there was a child involved, I think. Some of these people, like the Green River Killer is one of them where he um, murdered a bunch of people, but he refused to admit to um, raping children, even though he did. Hmm. He was okay with admitting to murdering them, but not that. Sometimes, yeah, it's I don't know. There, I feel like that's probably why he didn't want to want to admit to it because there was a kid. Um, of course, naturally, he tried to blame his multiple personality disorder on all of these killings, saying that, "Oh, it wasn't me. It was this personality that did that one." Yeah, it was this personality that did this one. Um, forensic psychologist uh, Harry Crop said he didn't buy it. Luckily. Yeah, he he said he's trying to minimize his culpability and use the classic, you know, the devil made me do it excuse. Mm-hmm. So Danny was was set where he was um, fit to withstand trial. They get to all the way up to the point now. I don't know if people know how long the trial process is um, for something like a, this. It's going to go on a long, long time. Yeah. There's a lot of steps you have to go through before you even get to a jury selection. And it can take years to do this, depending on what's going on with the case. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to sit through many murder trials as part of the job that I had for a short stint. I worked in a felony courthouse and it was very interesting. A lot of it's very boring, but it is um, very arduous. It's a very tedious because you have to make sure everything is correct yeah i was i was in jury selection earlier this year for a murder trial i, I get, ended up getting uh excluded from going to uh the main jury but i was mm-hmm. i was a jury selection so i was there at the courthouse all day and it was amazing the way the the attorneys worked and asked their questions because at one point this guy's just like you know you you could say something dishonest by mistake. I'm like, people are agreeing to it. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. I'm like, you mean lying? No, lying's always intentional. What are you guys, what are you people talking about? <laughs> so that's so that's why I'm not on the jury. That's why I didn't make it, obviously. So yeah, clearly you yeah. You you can tell where the what their angle is based on um what right, their defense yeah. is gonna be based on the questions they ask. <laughs> the guy but, the guy in that murder trial ended up getting acquitted too. So there you go. If you go, I could be wrong because I know people have been wrong, falsely accused and convicted. I do, I do recognize that. But if you're going as far as a trial, you probably did it. If you're at that stage, that's, you fucking that's a did terrible it. thing to say. I'm sorry, but if they're going forward with the trial, you fucking did it. No, I mean like if you've gotten to that point and the charges haven't been dropped or there was no plea deal or you refuse to accept whatever. It, it means is, is she's yeah. You're saying that uh, the the prosecutors feels really confident they're going to secure a conviction against you. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, the evidence is very stacked against you at that point. If you were going right. to a trial, um, yeah. and there are many reasons why people go to trial, even if they did do it, sometimes they feel like, well, a jury will be maybe we could convince them to be lighter yeah. on you or yeah. whatever. So. Especially if, if, if a jury has uh, any kind of say on your sentencing, which happens sometimes. Right. And the point in saying all of that rambling is to say that in 1994, Danny finally goes to trial. They're in jury. They have the jury selected. Like the first proceeding, 
Danny stands up and says, you know what, Your Honor? I'm not going to pretend anymore. I did all of this. I plead guilty. So <laughs> even though he says this, the jury, because, because the process has been started and you have to do it the right way, they're still required to listen to the evidence. So they did. Um, and they came to a recommendation of life in prison or death. The judge decided that um, the death penalty was appropriate for this case, which I agree. Yep. And Danny was sentenced to death um, and executed on October 25th, 2006. While he was um, by lethal injection, mm -hmm. while he was being injected, uh, the family showed up to witness the execution and he was reported to have stared directly into um, Sonia Larson's mother's eyes and he started singing a hymn and just sang himself to death pretty much. What an asshole. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Someone who's, uh, you know, been involved with a lot of this. What do you wear to an execution? Do you dress up? I would probably wear a t-shirt that was like, fuck yeah, go to hell or something. I don't know. Because it's like, uh, you know, there's some solemnity for the occasion of a human being being extinguished, you know, for his crimes. But it's, you know, but you also don't like want to dress up out of respect for him. But you also don't want to look, you know, you don't want to look up looking shabby either, you know, like out of respect for yourself. So. I don't know. I'd probably what consider. You... I would probably consider um, who the victim is, like why they're getting um, executed, or who. Yeah, like if it was my my brother or my my mom or something like that, I'd probably think about what they would want me to do, or what they feel like would be right in the situation, and you know, like. I use my mother as an example, which is really um, dark, but she's a very, um, she's very religious. She's very forgiving and she would not want me to go in there like based on her beliefs, you know, God's the ultimate decider and we're supposed to have respect for human life. So I would take her wishes into consideration and just do whatever she would think was best. Personally, I would like, want to go in there with like foam fingers and be like fuck you <laughs> but but you know it just it depends that's probably what i would do i don't think i would dress up but yeah if i get murdered and you go to the execution of the guy that murdered me you could wear a t-shirt and jeans i want you to feel like you could go get lunch afterwards and not have to change <laughs> and go eat ribs and not worry about it i don't so want i don't want to have to be an inconvenience to you one last time you know yes yeah, so i want you to <laughs> i want you to to go to the my execu the execution of my murderer like like your next stop is uh is is Texas Roadhouse or something absolutely okay same to you <laughs> <laughs> that's awful I don't know I just I always wonder what you're supposed to wear to that like it's such a weird occasion you know it's not exactly church yeah. or an interview or something it's just it's something you're only going to do one time so you kind of have to put some thought into it I guess I don't know maybe I should yeah. maybe I should not have brought this up. I wonder if there's a dress code like do there probably is. I know that, uh, man, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, back when the show was new, I know that uh, Tansy was talking about an execution where a reporter actually got thrown out of the, the occasion because she was dressed too sexy. 
Ew. Yeah. Why would you dress up sexy to go to an execution? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, Although, everywhere, I, everywhere I go, I'm dressed up kind of sexy. I can't help it. But I mean, like, <laughs> you should see the look on her face. She is dismayed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to see what constitutes sexy. I, would like I think to she was wearing. I think she was wearing like nylons and a, and a skirt and like just something kind of you know. I think like it was you would full on call it evening wear. Um, oh you my! Know, I don't okay. know. I think. Well, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just gonna say. Obviously, that's the conclusion of that story. Um, and there's a lot of information with that story. I hope I didn't muddle through it too much. Um, this. This case, like I said, inspired the Scream franchise. And if you watch the if you watch the movies, you could definitely see the like correlations between the movies and the crimes, um, especially with it being like you know students. Um, the movie was the creator of the movies saw this case happening and was like, "Oh, let me write that down real quick." And he made this giant franchise out of it, and. Um, went to theaters a few years after uh, Danny's trial. So if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it now that you know this information and you'll be able to see the where it matches up. It's actually really interesting. So that was pretty much what I was going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up while you were letting us know how we can watch, we can enjoy these murders on film. Uh, it said Alabama journalist arrived at the William C. Holman Correctional Facility at Atmore. I believe that's in Alabama. Prison told she couldn't watch convicted murder Joan Nathan James Jr.'s lethal injection. Her skirt was too short. She violated prison dress code. There you go. It was an uncomfortable okay. situation. <laughs> and yeah. I felt embarrassed to have my body and my clothes questioned in front of a room of people I had never met, she said. Well, then why are you dressing up sexy to go to a... Yeah. What do you... First of all, you're there for work, so dress professionally. And second of all, you're going to a prison. I know not everybody's familiar with how prisons work and how what the environment is like, but that's not something you should be wearing to a prison. Um, if you're uncomfortable with people talking about your body. But, yeah, that's a little strange. That is embarrassing, but... It got weirder. So she knew no change of clothes. <laughs> so she accepted her photographer's offer to let her wear his rain gear, waterproof fisherman waders. But her problems weren't over. After she put on the fisherman's waders, strapping on suspenders under her shirt, she was told her open-toed heels were too revealing. Open-toed heels? Like, I, we don't want to see your toes, bam. She went to her car where she had a pair of tennis, tennis shoes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's in... Waiters. Oh, get shoes. this. Get this, though. Her name is, I, I can't pronounce her name. It's spelled H-R-Y-N-K-I-W. She says, I sat down, tried to stop blushing, and did my work, as women often have to do. <laughs> so so her plate is really the plate of all women. So, which I don't, I oh, don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that, because I don't, I don't think that you would do that. So I can totally relate to that. Not, no, I don't, I don't know. That's a little weird. Yeah. I guess there's a whole thing about it. Female reporters for arbitrary clothing inspections is humiliating, discriminatory, and simply unacceptable behavior towards professional journalists trying to cover one of the most serious events they're called upon to witness. 
Alabama Department of Corrections did not immediately respond to that comment. Which why the hell would they? Well, I don't. I didn't mean to go off on a whole tangent about this. I just wondered what you wear, and now I know what not to wear. So, well, she yeah, don't wear a mini skirt and open toed heels, John. But well, but that's just for women. You know, we don't know what men can wear. <laughs> well, she said it in her comment. Like, you're at the most serious thing that you could possibly be at in your entire career, and you're dressing like that. So I know I didn't see her. So I'm speaking based on what you're telling me. But okay, I, I am going on on record though to say, Kendra, that you can wear whatever you want. All right, thanks. Yep. I'll get an affidavit or something, and you can show up with that. And okay. <laughs> Sounds um, great. Yes. Shifted gears suddenly. What are we looking forward to next week? I know that you had a friend, Victoria, who's thinking about appearing on the show. Is that going to be next week? Or are we kicking that down the road? Or That's actually going to be next week this time. I know last week I said it was going to be this week, but it is actually going to be next week. And she's going to be bringing us the case that inspired the movie The Strangers. Nice. So, uh, tune in for I, that. Should I watch that before next week so I understand what the hell's going on? Yes, you should. I don't think you're going to, but... I'm going to tell you this, and it's just going to go in one ear and out the other because you haven't watched any of the other movies I've told you to watch. Well, I've been very busy. <laughs> I've been doing I, what? Working? <laughs> yes, doing working and podcasting. <laughs> I've actually I've been trying to have a pretty spooky season because I love Halloween as much as you do. Um, but the things that I do uh, to have a spooky autumn are not really, I don't know, they're not really working like you know i'm just like making plans with friends and then like i with dread anticipating that having to actually happen before i cancel last minute because i'm an introvert so there's that or like uh you know just looking at uh the dallas cowboys schedule this year is filling me with dread so it's very it's very <laughs> atypical uh spooky feelings that I'm, I'm able to have like um you know uh, my boss will call me into his office. Like that's as, as spooky as it's been lately. You know, not nothing too spooky for me. Any anything really spooky happened for you? Uh, that all sounds really spooky. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, mm. Yeah, I have been behind as well, which is very unusual for me because normally I'm like a September type of like I start decorating in September kind of thing. But things have just been really um, piling up. So I have also I am totally like woefully out of this whole like autumn thing i haven't decorated it i have a pumpkin and a cinnamon broom that's it right now I don't even know what <laughs> so, that is. a cinnamon broom you don't know what that is it's like it's a broom oh used to clean up cinnamon off the floor i gotcha um, no it's scented like it's de it's decor but it's scented it smells like cinnamon and you hang it in your house and it makes your house smell like cinnamon Anyway, oh, so I have one I, of those. I just dust the floor with cinnamon. I'm kind of a caveman, I guess. I don't know. I don't really do hey, that. Hey, that's that is hippy dippy bullshit. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> I have mean to Kendra all week, and I, I tell her that all of her core beliefs are a joke to me. That it is all hippy dippy bullshit. <laughs> when we get on the podcast. I'm vulnerable. She takes advantage of the situation. Makes me appear as, as a fool. But uh, for those of you who don't know this, uh, Kendra has always behaved this way. Uh, she and I were, we were married at one point and a condition of our divorce is that we had to do a podcast together. Very atypical divorce. We both had pretty bad lawyers on that one. I think we could agree. We shouldn't yeah. have gotten the same lawyer to represent both of us at our divorce. It was a very weird move. It was the lawyer from my cousin Vinny. <laughs> 
I don't know that movie. All right. Oh my god. This is I'm why we got kidding. divorced. This is why we got divorced because we don't have any of the same movies in common. Should have come up at a certain point before we got married, but it <laughs> all right. Well, uh Failure to Stop is a whole family of shows on Monday nights uncuffed with uh former comedians Eric Tanzi and Janderell White. Tuesday, you're here with Kendra Drama. I'm sitting in tonight. Uh, Wednesday, Eric Deadleg have all the news that you need. Last week, they had a cool interview with Kem Shamrock. They've got a meetup coming up later in October, October 27th, down there in Florida in Pontra Vedra. If you're interested in tickets and going to see the bare knuckle fight, uh, the Valor bare knuckle fight, get in touch with Tansy, send him a DM, get tickets together, go down there. They're going to do a meetup at the Island Girl Bar down there in Pontra Vedra. There's also uh, a meetup. Yeah, in Albemarle, North Carolina, coming up in November. I think all of the anti-hero podcast people are going to that. Uh, stipulation of my divorce is that although I am forced to podcast with Kendra, I'm not allowed to meet her in person. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to stay away from those events. Thursday night's the Cobb Center with me and Drew, where we break down police and 911 dispatch issues. Fantastic show. Friday, of course, is our main show. Big case breakdowns on Fridays. You can catch those uh, live at 11 on YouTube. Hit like, hit subscribe on our YouTube. We're trying to grow that. Share that with a friend. If you're just listening uh, on Spotify, iTunes, thanks for listening. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review. Trying to climb up those charts. Make failure to stop. Uh, the best podcast out there. Working hard for you every day. Do your part. Buy a ghost bed. Leave us a five-star rating review. <laughs> of course, Tansy's out there with Conservative Ant on Sundays uh, talking about weird stuff. Uh, they just uh, covered uh, skinwalkers. Mm. Fact or fiction? I happen to believe skinwalkers are real. I know the Navajo Nation has at least uh, two LEOs who go out there and investigate that shit. Very spooky. Go ahead and check that out. That's that's uh, under the same uh, production company, C Minus Media, but it's separate from Player to Stop. So look for that. Uh, hit subscribe. Hit like. It's Eric Tanzi and uh, Anthony Ramondi uh, talking about uh, crazy weird shit. It's just designed to keep you up uh, all night long with terrifying uh, uh, dreams. And uh, on behalf of uh, my own self <laughs> stay, stay <laughs> safe stay strange what are you stealing my freaking outro now i was setting you up okay, stay, well, stay safe stay strange and whatever you do don't get yourself true crimed <laughs> okay uh i'm guessing that uh, the lawyer is going to be calling both of us and saying that uh, mm -hmm. we do not have we do not have 50 50 custody of that <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to get sued. I'm also probably going to get a cease and desist letter from Mothman. So I have to go. <laughs> have a good night. Bye. Bye.